Hi, this is Dr. Ali Sharma with a trigger warning for everyone. You may hear us speaking about life experience in this podcast that have meaning for you, that may be difficult to hear, or that may affect your loved ones. As always, we encourage you to seek help from a licensed mental health professional or other healthcare provider with any questions you may have about what you're going through. Everything in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please don't delay seeking help because of something you hear on Model Mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. And I'm Bridget Malcolm. And this is Model Mentality, a podcast where we are opening up the dialogue on mental health, one conversation at a time. Today on the podcast, we have with us renowned English model, Karen Elson, who has walked runways for everyone from Alexander McQueen to Chanel, Valentino, and Gucci, been the face of countless campaigns and graced magazine covers shot by leading photographers around the globe. Karen's blossoming music career has seen the release of two full-length albums, The Ghost Who Walks and Double Roses, securing her position as a tour de force in the worlds of fashion and entertainment over her two-decade-long career. 2020 saw the release of her first EP, Radio Redhead Volume 1, and book The Red Flame, with Rizzoli Publishing. She can currently be seen as the face of Moschino Resort 2022, while being a leading advocate for model rights in the workplace. Her latest song, The Electric Lightning Strikes, was co-written and produced alongside the award-winning musical duo of Daniel Tashin and Ian Fitchuk, and is a taste of what's to come from Karen's forthcoming third full title release, signaling a new era for her, as well as direction and sound. So thank you so much for coming on today, Karen. I'm really excited to speak to you about your experience in the modeling industry because I know you've had a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes. So my first question is, what age were you when you first started modeling? So I got scouted when I was, I think it was either 14 or 15 years old in Manchester in England. And, um, you know, it wasn't that I started modeling instantaneously. Um, my, I guess I'd say my first agent, this woman called Deborah Burns um, at this agency called Boss in Manchester, I think she knew that I wasn't gonna take the traditional trajectory of modeling. And she spent a good year sort of, I guess in essence, developing me as a as a model you know i would do small shoots here and there and she focused primarily on finding me other agencies in other territories like an agent in tokyo an agent in paris an agent in italy london all those places and sort of you know having me do smaller shoots just to kind of get a feel for what it was like being on set and whatnot so it was more sort of like an incubating period those days but i was still you know i was i was a very young teenager you know you meet some teenagers who are much more sort of worldly but I was definitely not that kind of teenager I really just lived in a small town and was still quite you know emotionally quite young when I first started modeling I was a girl I wasn't you know didn't have any world experience whatsoever I can definitely relate to that I felt like I was in the exact same place when I started modeling um mm-hmm. so just for context where how old are you today and what era were you kind of working most intensely as a model yes so I am 42 right now and 
where I was working the most, I mean, it's hard to say because I've had so many sort of ebbs and flows throughout the years, but I think, you know, when my, I guess when I got my first Italian Vogue cover when I was 18, it sort of started this period, I guess, from 18 up until I had kids where I was, where I was busy most of the time or on a plane, you know, minus some moments here and there where I wasn't in the fashion world's favor due to sort of body image stuff, which we'll get into obviously later. But um, I had a good decade or so of just really working quite intense. And then after having kids, obviously that shifts a lot of things that I can't be away for a month to six weeks doing shoot after shoot. So that sort of changed things, but then made it even strangely more busier in a way, because now it's a lot more scheduling and whatnot these days. But the 90s and early 2000s were definitely my peak. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and I know that you do a lot of different things. You know, you do mm -hmm. all kinds of different things. So what? how would you describe what you do today outside of modeling? Um, well, you know, it's interesting because I look at myself primarily as a creative person. So, you know, that can take many forms. I mean, I make music as well. Um, that's something that has always been important to me before I even became a model. That's kind of what I wanted to do <laughs> instead of modeling, but modeling became the thing, if you know what I mean. So do music. I wrote a book last year, actually, that came out last year um, called The Red Flame. Um, I work on various different projects, to be honest with you. I mean, it's I've been part of a theater group for a long time called The, the Citizens Band, and we've performed all over the country. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I love doing stuff, if you know what I mean. I, I like, I like the world of entertainment and I, I sort of put my hands in various different places. I sort of I think the good part of the world today is that you don't have to be pigeonholed as one thing. You're not just a model. You're not just a singer. You're not just, you know, a creative person. You can be all those things. Absolutely. Could not agree with you more. Thank you. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Ali now to go a little bit Great. deeper into mental health. Great. Great, Karen. We're so excited to speak with you today. And I have to add to that list, you're also a mother, which we'll talk yes, about. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes. Very much so. A mother of teenagers. That's a whole world in itself. Oh, I could imagine. That could be another episode. <laughs> but, so, 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 yeah, you know, the first thing I'd love to ask, which I ask some of our guests, is knowing that we're discussing mental health today. What was um, enticing or alluring about coming onto our podcast? Well, I think for myself, you know, always talking about mental health within the fashion industry is something that I have come to realize the past few years is very important. And I think even more so when, um, you know, COVID-19 became a thing is that I think I saw this collective shift in a lot of people where it was the first time in maybe a decade that people had slowed down, that people had time to, you know, even though things were very scary and things obviously, you know, in the world were, are still are terrifying and there's a lot of economic unrest and, you know, a lot of people in fashion who have got sick and people who have passed away. But I, I also saw on the flip side that we all kind of had this collective moment of truth recognizing how we all hadn't slowed down and it affected people in different ways. And throughout the years of being a model, I've seen people have breakdowns, 
fall into addiction, eating disorders, um, and just sort of bad behavior being just tolerated without any sort of recourse. And I just think mental health in the fashion industry is a very important topic because I think it moves at a really quick pace. And a lot of us are burnt out very quickly. I see a lot, you know, it's like a bright star burnout real quick. You know, you see an amazing model who's got all the potential in the world and she's just worked to the bone where she no longer wants to be part of the fashion industry and leaves, you know, and it always makes me sad to see those things happen because people are not educated on longevity and on mental health and what those two can do to enable you to have a like fulfilling career but often you know I say a, a young model starting out she's just she's just worked to breaking point and I think that stuff needs to change yeah and we want to talk to you about your perspective on what could change or what would have helped but I'd love to first go to you because you mentioned about you mentioned your experience of modeling and what yep. it brought up for you when you were younger and I know you said you know, you struggled with body dysmorphia or body image, eating, mm -hmm. and many other psychological experiences. So tell us a little bit about what you remember earlier on, whether it's your teens and 20s, and what was your mental health like back then? Well, you know, I remember, so when I was 18, like I said, I, I did this incredible cover of Italian Vogue with this, you know, brilliant photographer called Stephen Mizell, and it sort of catapulted my career from you know, doing sort of mediocre stuff to doing, you know, the highest, you know, the top of the top in fashion. I was working with Karl Lagerfeld for Chanel. I was doing pretty much everything. It was my dream come true. And it's so sad because the dream can slowly start to become a nightmare when you don't have time to sleep, when you don't have um, adequate sort of, you know, people taking good care of you during that moment. And I, I think I rode that wave and then somewhere in my 19th year, um, you know, it's just so exhausted. I mean, I would be eating on set when I could. I wasn't taking good care of myself because I didn't have time to take care of myself. And, you know, you're an adolescent as well still. So, you you know, as an adolescent, your body is constantly changing, you know. And I started my periods quite late. I started when I was like late 15 years old so you know at 19 I was still my body was still developing and I started when I was 19 all of a sudden sort of you know my hips began to fill out ever so slightly I'll frame it you know and my body became became more womanly and it became a problem with the fashion industry and all of a sudden comments about my weight were just non-stop you know every shoot if a dress doesn't fit there was a cruel comment about how I need to stop eating people giving me diet advice people threatening me per se saying well if you don't lose weight we're not going to work with you anymore you know and it became this source of panic for me which accumulated in sort of a terrible event where I was away at fashion week in Milan and a fashion designer while I was in a fitting you know, is talking about my body in front of me, talking about my body in Italian in front of me, but I understood every word. And it was just the most horrible things. I mean, this designer was saying how disgusting my body was, how fat and gross. And it's disgusting that I could even consider myself a model. And, you know, I, it 
completely broke me. And unfortunately, it was in a room full of other people and people were laughing. So it was a lot of humiliation there. And somehow word got around in the fashion industry that this designer had said all these things. And instead of people being sort of compassionate, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry this person said this to you. The opposite happened where I became sort of your person non grata. You know, I became shunned. I got canceled from every show because I was quote unquote fat. It was on the news, <laughs> like the wow. Sky News in the UK. You know, it was in big, you know, like publications. Like I've been canceled from Milan Fashion Week because I'm fat. And it was just this awful public humiliation that, that, spiraled me into just an eating disorder you know I mean how could it not I mean I was just publicly humiliated professionally humiliated nobody wanted to work with me and I was being told if I wanted a career I had to basically do whatever it took to lose 15 pounds and I did you know I mean but it it really took a toll on my mental health because obviously at 19 it, it, you know, it, it was so connected to my self-worth as well. So it started just this spiraling of, you know, binge eating and starving myself, counting every calorie, just whatever I had to do to be thin, because when I was thin, I was accepted. And, you know, that went on for a number of years and it was a real roller coaster, you know, and I was tarred and feathered for many years w after that experience where no matter how thin I got, I was still labeled, you know, terrible things about my body. You know, I was still labeled, oh, you're one of the bigger models. Your body's bigger. Your body's this way, that way. Oh, you know, the moment I would gain weight, there'd be threats again while you're getting fat again, you know, and <laughs> it was this roller coaster. Honestly, in my body, you know, it would change drastically. I would lose a lot of weight, then I would gain a lot of weight. I mean, it was very difficult to sort of have consistency because again, there was no sort of care and compassion, you know, it was, there was nobody was behind the scenes saying, you know, maybe you should talk to, you know, a therapist or a, you know, a nutritionist, you know, because I, I really was like, it was out of control, <laughs> you know, and again, there was very little resources out there for me. But on top of it, what the difficult part is with fashion is that it's encouraged, you know, the moment I would lose weight, everybody would be just congratulating me. Oh, you look amazing, you know, <laughs> and mm -hmm. It's very, there was very troubling messages that I would get. So it took a, a long time for me to really find my feet because I think I knew on a deep level, I knew what I was doing was hurting myself. And I had to get to a point where I recognized that my mental health was more important than fitting in a size zero dress, that my emotional well being meant more to me than being on this like roller coaster of, of self-destruction, you know, and eventually I got to that place, but it's been, you know, I, I even say at 42 years old, I, I have days where 
I struggle, you know, I have days where I, I look in the mirror and think, oh, if only I was dot, dot, dot. But I also know to get to that, you know, if I go on a diet that it's going to start this catalyst of things I don't want to happen anymore. So it's, it's through therapy. It's not that I am, I think I've realized it's not like you're getting to a destination of, of oh, wow, I don't have an eating disorder anymore. I don't have body dysmorphia. I don't look in the mirror and wish I was, you know, wish I looked different. Those things will always be unfortunately part of just my makeup, but I have the tools now to know, well, you might feel that way, but I'm not <laughs> going to really do anything about it because again, I, I know the, the payoff is, is very detrimental to my mental health. Yes. And look, what I hear in what you're saying, I mean, you're talking about critical developmental years, developmentally, mm -hmm. physically, mm -hmm. but also emotionally. And if yes. you are, you took, clearly you took, you take pride in your work as an artist, as a, as a creative right. person, as a model. And if you're successful and then all of a sudden there's this indicator, your size of your body mm -hmm. that isn't fitting to that form of success, it sounds like you're the type of person that's going to be going to be driven to be successful, which means right. then you have to control that weight and then it, deal with the commons. And it's just a huge, huge stress confluence of things that are so difficult psychologically. Right. So what do you think, if you think of models at that age or industries that may have that similar hazard, what would have helped you at that time? Well, I think, huh, you know, the modeling industry really lacks a lot of oversight you know it doesn't have um like for instance model agencies may have hr departments models ourselves we don't have a place where we can go essentially to lodge a complaint with agents agencies or if you're on a shoot and someone says something cruel i think having oversight is really helpful but then i think training you know i think agents should be trained i think the fashion industry being trained in sort of you know in how harmful certain flippant comments, you know, what the end result can be for a person. If you tell somebody that they need to stop eating croissants or something silly like that, when you're saying that to an adolescent, that can have catastrophic, you know, just can have catastrophic consequences. And I think that having a safety net to protect models that is, you know, more sort of 360, it's, it's in regards to our financial well-being, it's in regards to our emotional, physical well-being, it's, it's connected to our safety on set, having sort of a place where models can feel like they're protected and having everybody in the industry, or as many people as you can, especially the agents, just trained in what it's like to be working with an adolescent or a young woman or just a woman in general and what the what the, the what these sort of um these statements or these comments that are made the impact that they have i mean again i feel like a lot of changes have happened recently in the fashion business and i feel like there has been so much sort of progress that's happened the past couple of years especially with body diversity but i still feel like there's a long way to go because 
there's still models out there who are more traditionally sort of editorial models who are still being told to lose weight, who are still being, you know, worked to the bone, essentially, like worked to a point where they're unwell and burn out. And again, I just, I, I, I wish the industry could kind of radically shift its perspective onto, you know, viewing a model, like I said earlier, as a, it's a long-term endeavor, not just a few years. Because I think then we'd be more mindful of, of protecting a young woman or a young man, protecting them, not burning them out, giving them the resources so they feel like they're able to take care of themselves or if something happens that is stressful or abusive, which calling somebody fat in my mind is abusive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and where can there be recourse or where can they be sort of like some kind of retraining, you know, where the person is sort of taken aside and said, hey, that thing you said can be quite damaging. This is what you need to do in order to rectify this situation. Just yeah, cause and, and effect, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I had cause and effect would be that there, there is some sort of recourse. Because I think, again, the industry thrives on silence. And, you know, Bridget, I'm sure you can relate to that, you know, as the, 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 the biggest thing in fashion is nobody ever talks about what happens behind the scenes. But we all know what happens behind the scenes. And I think lifting that veil is helpful. And you can do that in ways that are kind. You don't have to do it where you're trying to burn people at the stake, so to speak. I think there are ways to engage everybody in the industry in meaningful conversations where models themselves can educate people on the impact of their words and actions. Yes. I mean, look, what you're effectively describing, what you went through, I mean, you experienced a very toxic work environment, which we yes. know has an effect on mental health. And you were given feedback, which you, you know, you described as bullying or abusive. And there, if, if people want to give constructive feedback or if something doesn't fit with their creative vision, there is a way to communicate that, that is healthy and respectful and not denigrating or demeaning to a person and their body, which they can't help, right? You are, you have your body. Right. And, and I think right. from the spirit of diversity and inclusion and body diversity, as you say, I mean, it has to change or it, there has to be a culture shift. Right. And I, I think that culture shift is beginning. And I think that there are a lot of great models out there right now who are really pushing that forward. I think, but like I said earlier, there's still this um, old school mentality in fashion, especially when it comes to sort of, you know, runway models as well, where I still look at runway shows and, you know, a lot of the time just think, gosh, it's so sad. You know, the girls are so thin. And I know from being a model, a lot of the time, it's not just that, you know, not to get, to be unkind to a woman who is naturally slender, you know, but I, I do know as a model that a lot of these young women are slender for, you know, their job, you know, and if we were able to just be our natural physical selves you know <laughs> what would that look like you know if every single model went mm, I'm, I'm gonna let my body gain the 10 to 15 pounds it needs because the moment I did that the moment I became happier 
You know, mm. that's the thing. The moment I let my body be what it naturally is. And look, I'm a healthy person, you know, but I've done a lot of work. Like I don't restrict anything. I started doing intuitive eating and that kind of changed my life because, you know, for years it was always, I should try this thing. I should do intermittent fasting. I should, you know, I, I was always jumping on the bandwagon of every sort of fad. And under the guise of, oh, I'm just trying to be healthy. No, <laughs> really under the, it was under the guise that I just wanted to lose weight so I could get the approval of my business, you know? And the moment I stopped doing that and, and started just eating more intuitively, I found that my body actually was, you know, settled into its natural rhythm. Does that make sense? And if only all models were able to do that, if only we were all allowed to just have our bodies be what they are, you know, I mean, I am a, a naturally kind of physical person. Like I go for, you know, I run five days a week, you know, I love running. It's like a mental thing for me. I love to like, for my own mental health, be physical, work out. But I also know that, you know, I couldn't do that when I was starving myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's the irony I couldn't actually have the energy to exercise when I was on this roller coaster of binging starving all the things in between and it's the irony is the moment you prioritize your health and well-being and you start eating it's sort of like the penny dropped like duh I'm actually healthier than I've ever been right here and now at age 42 and I think in the best shape I've ever been in my life because I'm just allowing myself to be me. And it, it, it took that sort of radical self-acceptance for me to, you know, walk in a room on a shoot and stand up and feel confident about myself. But to that point, I also had to make some drastic changes too. And recently I left all my model agents and, you know, it wasn't out of anything like overly dramatic but I think I recognized that I was even trying to please them you know or this sort of this mentality of well I've got to say yes to everything because they'll be mad at me if I don't and I started to realize at age 42 that I'm a grown-up and I should be able to choose what I want to do and do the shoots I want to do and recognize that maybe it was time for me to to leave my agents and start doing things my way. And even that shift has given me so much more confidence in myself and was almost like shedding another layer of eating disorder trauma because I recognized how much trauma was connected with my eating disorder to agents in general, because a lot of the time in my past, agents were the one telling me I was overweight. Wow. So, you know, I, I have a question because I think what I want to pull out of your story is how you went through a period that was so difficult. You were young, you were impressionable, and then you got to a place of a better equilibrium. So the first time with respect to letting the eating piece go and going towards intuitive eating, what gave you permission or what was set up in your life that allowed you to do that? Well, I think for me, regular therapy was, was a real big sort of life changer for me and 
I started working with a therapist who was a former dancer and really understood the body image pressures and really helped me connect a lot of the dots. I mean, she's a brilliant fem feminist. I still, you know, see her today and just helped me recognize that these messages I've been given over the years were just so woman hating and were so detrimental to, to just my recovery in essence. And she really helped frame a lot of these things differently. And I guess, you know, I guess that's the key to a good therapist, right? Is that they're able to sort of cut through the fog which I had, which was sometimes clouding my judgment. And she knew sort of, she had the right skills, I would say, to, to sort of impart on me that really made sense. And again, being a mother as well, um, I think that's been a huge catalyst for me because I have, I have a 15 year old daughter and, you know, already with some of her friends who have developed eating disorders, I feel a huge responsibility. You know, I mean, I, I'm a model and they look at models on Instagram and compare their their bodies to to women who may or may not be torturing themselves in some way, shape or form. And I feel I feel a big responsibility to to no longer do that to myself, to be a good role model to my daughter, but also to her friends. And I also recognized that. For me, I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I, I, I literally going into that self-destructive place or body dysmorphia, eating disorder, feeling lousy about myself at work, it, it was becoming too overwhelming. It just made me not want to be a model anymore. And I felt like I've had a long enough career that I owed it to myself to not throw in the towel but to find a way to radically embrace who I was, my body, and to find my place in the industry almost as an act of sort of, you know, kind of defiance to the industry standards. And again, I'm talking about myself as, you know, a 42 year old woman who is, is like, I'm a size four, not a size zero, but you know, I'm putting it in context here that that sounds crazy, I know to the rest of the world, but within the industry, it's quite radical, especially when you're high fashion model, as which I am. Um, but I just knew things had to be different. And I wanted to love myself, you know, <laughs> I started recognizing that I deserved to treat myself kindly. And that process began many, many years ago. I mean, I used to see a therapist when I was in my early 20s, who specifically for body dysmorphia and eating disorders. And she helped kickstart, you know, the, me recognizing that the messages I was being told in fashion were really toxic. Um, but as any recovery, it's, it's a journey, right? And it can take years to dismantle. It's not like you get a few therapy sessions and you're like, whoops, great, now I figured it out. It's, it's you really have to be consistent with that in order to see long lasting results. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I, the, the final puzzle pieces started to get locked in. And I began 
to really feel the benefits, if that makes sense. Because for years you're just doing, or at least I did, for years I was just doing what I had to do. You know, I knew going on diets is bad, so I'm not going to do that, but I still feel terrible when I'm on set and it still is this real push and pull and it doesn't feel right, but now it does, if that makes sense. But it's through years of work and chipping away at the... um I guess the the emotional patterns, you know, rewiring my brain, so to speak, with healthier patterns, um, and just trusting that this is the right path to be on versus a self destructive path. Mm. I mean, I trust that wholeheartedly, you know. I mean, and I will, like I said, I have days where it's I get triggered. And food is always my go-to, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's been a coping mechanism for many years, but I'm aware of it now, you know, it's not compulsive anymore. It's like, okay, this is happening. I know this is happening. I have the ability to slow the roll of this fast moving train, (laughs) put the brakes on, maybe it's time to book a therapy session. And I, I have the tools, you know, but when you're an adolescent, you don't have the tools and I think it's a responsibility again of model agencies and magazines to also have the tools in place as adults to protect young people from falling down this rabbit hole. Yeah. So when you, when you think about shifting or transitioning to this greater acceptance of yourself Mm -hmm. and who you are authentically, what actually happens to your career? Because I think a lot of people are driven by the need to please the need to get approval, you know, and trying to control the reaction of others around them. However, if you can shift to a place where you're just being you, maybe what happens is not so bad. So that's the thing. Yes. And that's, that's the irony. And again, the moment I just, exactly what you said, the moment I just started embracing who I was and walking on set, who I am not going through the, the motions of insecurity and self-doubt and whatnot. The irony is, is the people who've worked with me for long enough, they're, you know, they're all supportive of me still. You know, the, the, the great irony is that I'm probably working harder now these days than I have in a long time. And it's, I'm doing things that are fulfilling and I'm working on projects or I work with people now who I know have my um, best intentions at heart. And again, there's also an age component to this too. I do think at 42, I will not be treated any less than I deserve at this moment in time. You know, I'm not going to walk on set and be, you know, emotionally abused by a person. If that happens, I will stand up for myself and I will make it known that that behavior is not okay. I think age definitely comes into that. But again, the moment I started taking good care of myself, the moment I started just embodying who I am, there's only positive things have come from it because at the end of the day, prioritizing yourself, that's an act of you know positivity. It's an act of rebellion for the fashion industry. And I think in a way people kind of um, respect me for it. You know, that I, I think there's a lot of people in, in the industry who have sort of seen me 
kind of rise up from my from my own struggles and sort of give them all the middle finger a little bit <laughs> i think they they kind of admire my moxie if that makes sense <laughs> but again coming through for yourself there's there's nothing but positivity that comes out of that and it might again you if it means that a few people I've worked with in the past who were more toxic no longer work with me, that's okay. I am more than okay with that. And I think that's something for other models to to bear in mind is that they do have a say in who they want to work with. And you do deserve to work with people who treat you decently. And again, I've been become a lot more discerning with who it is I work with. And that also has an impact on my mental health. But the reason I became discerning is because of these years of work and recognizing for me to do my job well, I have to be in a safe environment. Okay, so final question. I know Bridget has a lot to ask you, then I'll turn it to her. (laughs) Um, So given your transformation, where you were in your younger years and where you are now, and given that you're a mother, Right. What message do you have to give to young people, teenagers, young adults who are struggling with body image, eating, confidence, self-worth? What advice do you have for them? Well, you know, I have this conversation with my daughter so often and, you know, even with her friends as well, because it's a difficult world in today's world. I feel like young people, even more so when I was young, have far more sort of there's influence everywhere. You know, you look online on social media and it's, you don't know what you're seeing anymore. You know, is it an edited photograph? Is it, is the woman that you're seeing, does she even really look like that in real life? And the messages that they get is, if you look a certain way, you'll be accepted. And my rebuttal to that is that's not true. (laughs) Because... I have gone down that rabbit hole myself for many years as a model of trying to look a certain way and feel accepted. I never got that final result. It wasn't until I embodied myself and accepted and treated myself with care and compassion is when I finally felt worthy of, of acceptance, love, all the positive things. And I often say to my daughter, it's a tough one where, you know, it's like to not look at my industry as the be all end all and to see it for what it is. That a lot of the images that you're looking at, you don't know what that young woman has been put through on that shoot. You don't know if she's struggling herself. We don't know these things. And it's so easy to have magical thinking when looking at a page of a magazine and imagine, oh, that person's life must be so incredible. You know, if only I could get to that size, my life will be incredible. And again, that often isn't the truth. And to get to a place of loving and accepting yourself, it, it, it really requires um, a lot of self-compassion and trying as best you can to not constantly compare yourself to others and again my daughter I will say she's she's a real I'm very lucky she has she has got a good head on her shoulders and she's got a good emotional language and I see even with her friends 
um, this new generation as difficult as it, as it is, they also are very well schooled in emotional intelligence, which I think wasn't necessarily a thing in the late 90s and early 2000s for um, sort of young women. You know, we weren't talking about our feelings. We were just burying them. <laughs> and that is one thing I encourage with for all young people is to focus on their emotional well-being because your physical well-being is so connected to that and if you're not working on yourself emotionally not learning an emotional language emotional intelligence how to stand up for yourself how to advocate for yourself it's going to be very difficult when moments come along where you feel insecure you know because when you've got the toolbox like i said of an emotional language of knowing when someone's crossed a boundary of being able to assert yourself and, and establish that boundary, only good things come from that. <laughs> so again, as a mother, it's all about teaching emotional intelligence along with them having an education. I couldn't agree with Karen more. Now tune in to our next segment in which Bridget and Karen spar a bit more on the modeling industry and the model mentor. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about the model mentor. What led to you creating it? I know you've already described your experiences, but was there anything in particular recently? And can you give us an overview of what it is, what you're hoping to achieve, and if people are interested, how they can join? Well, I think for me, the model mentor, again, I, I noticed that there was such a lack of resources for models. And for people in the fashion industry in general, there's a lot, a, a real lack of sort of mental health support. And and guidance, like what are the things no one will tell you about the modeling industry? What are the things that when you go on set and something happens, where, where is the place where a person can sit, you know, we can sit down as a collective and have a conversation about a wide array of topics that pertain to the fashion industry. And, and I just recognize there was a need for that. And I think for me personally, again, leaving my agencies and going at it alone and learning a lot more about the business. I mean, I am doing my deals these days, you know, and it's really opened up a lot about how the business operates. And again, models historically have been very passive in their careers. That's just been the role agents tell you where to be, what time, yada 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 and and i want to encourage models to take an active role in their careers to ask all the questions to to recognize that when something goes wrong that you know they there are resources out there for them to um take action or just simply to know that you're you're not alone and just to speak in a group in a collective is really helpful i found that in my life anyways when you know I'm speaking to a bunch of models, so many topics <laughs> come come out and I and I recognize to have that sort of round table experience as a model could be enlightening to some other people within the fashion industry, be it models or people who, you know, who are even interested in becoming a model. Um, that has been something that I, I've really enjoyed recently. And again, it's more, I feel it's more of a support group than anything else. And if you want to join, you can. Um, obviously, you and I have talked about this. It can get tricky sometimes with people's privacy and whatnot. Um, so I've been trying to establish, 
you know, a, a place where only speak if you want, you know, but again, each session has been super um, enlightening because I think what comes to the surface is just how unregulated fashion is and how broken the business is and how models just often are in the dark about the fundamentals of their career. What, what advice would you give to young models starting out today? Oh, gosh. <laughs> what advice would I give to a young model? Um, ask questions. Always ask questions. There should never be a... Um, what's the word you should never be dismissed when you're asking a question every question is valid um and do your research on your agents beforehand the agencies um there's a lot you can find out online there's a lot you can find out on social media just do some vetting as to who they are what their practices are what kind of models they represent um if an agent tells you to lose weight for me, that's a big red flag. And I, I think that's something that if that happens, um, it needs to be addressed, you know, as it happens, because I think, you know, agents are able to get away with that kind of behavior. Um, and my last piece of advice is make sure that you have transparency, you know, that, that every deal that you're doing, ask for a breakdown of expenses, ask for a breakdown of what your fee is ask for a breakdown of what your expenses may be. I mean, again, for a lot of other industries, this is just a given, you know, but in the fashion industry, it moves so fast that a lot of the key details go missing. So again, it might sound like I'm giving a lot of advice here, but really the, the essence of it all is, you know, be assertive and ask questions. Let's talk about stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um what is what are the most common model stereotypes that you have encountered <laughs> well you know i, I think the, I, I think everyone who thinks when you're a model they just automatically assume you're a victoria's secret model you know <laughs> I'm like nope that's definitely not me or that we you know the amount of comments i've had in my life where i'm eating a meal and they're like wait you eat more than just salad it's like yes <laughs> shocking <laughs> I know but even within the industry I think a lot of the stereotypes of models is that we're we're not sort of intelligent women or vital women which most of the successful models I have met in fact I'm going to say all of them are very savvy intelligent business women and are you know incredibly skilled at at navigating high stress environments and and ultimately getting what they want you know so i think the myth that a model is somehow just you know an empty slate a blank slate is is not true for me at all but at the same time that um perception is bolstered in essence by the fact that agents don't give models transparency so when you're not an active role in your career of course people may think, oh, she's not very bright. You know, we're not encouraged to be businesswomen within the industry, but the ones, the models who are successful have bucked that trend and are businesswomen. Where do you think these stereotypes come from? And what do you think they, what do you feel that they reflect kind of in the larger cultural context? 
Well, I think, unfortunately, a lot of these stereotypes come from white supremacy. You know, I mean, I am, you know, I'm as white as they come, you know, I'm like the palest person I know, honestly. But I think a lot of these negative stereotypes do come from sort of this white supremacy sort of mentality that a skinny white woman is somehow, um, I don't know, viewed differently in society. You know, I think, again, I feel it's my responsibility to at least help buck those trends by A, not starving myself, but B, creating a space where women of color and again, women of different body sizes feel welcome within the fashion industry because that also changes the narrative on a global sense of what people seem to think is beautiful. I mean, I was, you know, doing a deep dive recently about sort of, you know, the origins on eating disorders as well. And a lot of it came, you know, I mean, sort of from Victorian times and when sort of the quote unquote wasp was, uh, <laughs> that moniker was was invented is because um, I would say back in sort of the thirties and forties, there was a lot of um, sort of, talk in the world about how if you were a skinny white blonde woman that you were at a higher caliber than say a um a, an african-american woman which is just absolutely disgusting and i think that again fashion and its elitism also they might they will they may say that it's not rooted in white supremacy but it is and it's also rooted in woman hating as well i think that it's very um when you break it all down, the common denominator is a, a, a hatred of a woman in the flesh and all that that represents. And for me, I, again, the more I learn, the more sort of horrified I am, you know, by, by all these notions, because again, and I'm not saying that that's happening here and now today, but I do think in the fashion industry for a very, very long time, that especially when it came to women of color, I mean, we've seen it happen many times where say I could be on a cover of Vogue every month and, you know, a beautiful woman of color would only get that opportunity say once a year, which is completely unfair. And again, that's white supremacy right there. And I think when it comes to body diversity, that a lot of people in the fashion industry have fetishized a prepubescent body. You know, I think about, gosh, I mean, I'm like magazine I worked in when I was 16 years old where I'm doing a nude and no one's looking at me sexually, but my adolescent body is still being fetishized in some way. And I think it's very complicated. And I think the fashion industry has a lot of dismantling to do of all these tropes, in my opinion. I, I feel like I could talk to you about this particular point for another hour. <laughs> Final question. And this is the $50 million question, something that we ask everybody. If you had 50 million Instagram followers, what would you want to tell them about mental health? If I had 50 million Instagram followers, wow. What would I want to tell them about mental health? I think, you know, Obviously, I'd feel a great responsibility to to encourage people to put, you know, as you put your physical health 
on I feel, I feel like you know let me rephrase this so in in sort of today's world I, I see there's a lot of people who are working on you know working on their body working on their physical shape equally do the same amount of work on your emotional well-being you know do that same work to build yourself up as a whole person emotionally and I think maybe even more so when it comes to especially young women that that it's so important to take good care of yourself and taking good care of yourself isn't limiting your food. It isn't taking that next crash diet to attain that beach body. It isn't doing the, the, the impossible two hour workout. You know, it, it's, it's about taking good care of your, of your soul, you know, of your mental well-being. that for me is the source of, of my recovery and the source of where I now feel better in my skin than I have ever in my life. And I say that hand on my heart. I can say at 42, I feel just better in my skin now than ever. And the reason for that is because I've done a lot of work on myself and I prioritized my mental well-being above looking a certain way. So I guess that would be my advice. Thank you so much, Karen. This was so Thank powerful. You. Thank you. Now let's get clinical and let's review Karen's story. Karen describes herself as a creative person. She's a high fashion model, an author, a musician, a mother, who's been on a journey from the initial days of being on our first Italian Vogue cover at the age of 18 to more recently at the age of 42, making the radical change of leaving her agents and doing things her way. Although it was not without its bumps along the way, Karen, through years of emotional work to understand her patterns and rewire her way of thinking, has come to a place of self-acceptance, self-love, and emotional equilibrium. Three things stand out to me from a clinical perspective. First, how a humiliating experience in her career set the stage for an eating disorder. Second, the impact of making mental health a priority in one's life. And third, having a safety net to protect models. On the first, let's talk about Karen and her eating disorder, which emerged after the humiliation she experienced in the context of being repeatedly and publicly shamed for the way she looked. Research shows that among certain populations, such as ballet dancers and elite athletes, there are higher levels of eating disorders than that of the general population. And according to a report by the Model Health Inquiry in 2007 that I found on the British Fashion Council's website, they note in a report that, quote, occupations based on the attainment of certain weight or shapes or value on slimness lead to dietary preoccupation and hence eating disorders, end quote, which is exactly what our guests on our podcast have been describing to us time and time again. If you are a person who likes to be successful, who wants to do well in your work, and you get the feedback that your body would be better if, as Karen did, then you can imagine that it's compelling to lose that weight, to conform to the body standard that's expected. But then you hear in Karen's story that it comes at too large of a price. Her eating disorder affected her so deeply that she considered not being a model. And more significantly, let's look at the inverse of this. She felt utter relief when she could finally let go of what's expected. When she let her body come to its own rhythm and eat 
what she intuitively feels is right, and when she set a focus on her emotional well-being. On the second, the impact of making mental health a priority in one's life, I've always been a proponent that mental health has to be a part of overall health. And if the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us anything, it is that mental health has to be top of mind. Our well-being cannot be ignored. And the great news is that if you prioritize your mental health and your emotional well-being, the effects are far-reaching. Karen notes that it took a long time to find her feet and to recognize that her mental health was more important than a size zero and more important than, in her words, being on a roller coaster of self-destruction. Now she stands strong in who she wants to be and is healthier at the age of 42 than she has ever been. On the third, when I started doing this work in 2019, after having met Son of Lute, Max, Jason, and Bridget, by no means was I an expert in the fashion industry or the modeling industry for that matter, but I quickly learned that models are often independent contractors who don't have the same protections that full-time employees have, such as things like health insurance, income security, legal and contract guidance, access to employee assistance programs, and so much more support. And as we all are aware, models start to work early when they're very young in their teenage years, and they're merely trying to navigate how the world works at the hands of their agency at that point. Speaking to Karen brings me back full circle to those first conversations because her knowledge, her journey, her visibility to be able to speak to this is critical in moving such a safety net and such protections forward. Shouldn't every young person in our society, no matter what they do, who they are, be offered protections in the workplace like this? And if we can hone in on those things which impact mental health, such as the positive effects of kindness, respect, constructive communication, couldn't this go a long way to promote positivity and reverse the humiliation that Karen describes in her story? Food for thought. Back to Karen, I can't say enough. We are honored to have spoken with Karen and to hear her perspective on how her eating disorder emerged and her journey towards self-acceptance and emotional well-being, her creative expression, and how she is giving back to her peers with a model mentor and by coming on this podcast. Many people struggle with eating disorders, self-acceptance, and emotional well-being, both within and outside of the modeling profession, and we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power and connection in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. Thanks for listening to Model Mentality. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.